Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the podcast. This week, we are talking to Sophie Lacey, who is a mindful spaces consultant, a copywriter and a biophilic meditation teacher. So biophilic design was my obsession of 2021, as anyone who listens to the podcast will have heard uh, just me going on about it again and again. Uh, And I am someone who has meditated a fair bit, even if at the moment I am not very well practiced. So to find Sophie, who is combining those two things, was a real treat, and I knew I had to have her on the podcast. If the term biophilic design or biophilia is new to you, uh, maybe you want to check out episode 47 first with Bill Browning and Katie Ryan. Uh, That will give you a good basis of understanding on what biophilia and what biophilic design are. Before that, we have about five minutes of news. And first up, the wonderful Will Stanix, uh, who was a guest on episodes 24 and 25 of the podcast. Uh, He has organized some training workshops with some of my building heroes. He's got plastering courses with Siggy Coco and James Henderson. Now, Siggy Coco was the guest on our last two podcasts, and she is going to be teaching Tadlact and Clay Finishes. And James, who wrote one of my absolute favorite books on plastering, uh, it is called Earthbrender. The Art of Clay Plaster, Render and Paints. He is coming to teach uh, some clay plastering finishes on a lovely roundhouse that my friend is building in May. So well done, Will. Just bringing all the best people over here. There'll be a link in the show notes to those courses for anyone that's in the UK. Uh, I have Future Build. If you are in London, England, uh, this coming week, 
the 1st to 3rd of March 2022, then I will be at Future Build at the Excel Centre and I will be there talking to people about natural materials, earth floors, straw in construction, all the good stuff. Um, so come along and say hello. We are on the ACAN stand, that's the Architects Climate Action Network, uh, which is F74, and Will Stanix is going to be there with me. So come along and chat to him too. Patreon this month, uh, the new patrons are Connor Keep, Dasher Atwood, Sam Tottenham, and Will Stanix. Will has managed to get himself into every bit of news from this episode thank you all so so much to those four and now we have actually passed a hundred patrons for the podcast which is just fantastic um my hope is with the patronage that when all the running costs and my time are covered then i'm going to start paying people to actually just make the podcast better Um, Like one example of that is that we can get all of the episodes transcribed so they're more readily accessible and the barriers are removed for people accessing this information. So, yeah, that's just one of a whole list of things that with a bit more capital we could uh, we could be doing to make the podcast better. So if you can support, that would be absolutely brilliant. I'd appreciate that. Everyone would appreciate that. Um, And just a reminder, there is actually nine hours of bonus audio as a reward for the patrons. Uh, Two whole episodes are with Flo Hamer of Tiny House fame. We are talking about tiny houses on that episode. And the other is with Will Stanix. That guy's everywhere. And he is talking about his house build. Um, And I think if I were a better capitalist, then I'd make more content that you get when you support the podcast uh but really i want as many people as possible to hear this and have free access to it so if you can support then thank you so much okay on with this episode uh there is about 10 minutes from the beginning of this episode with sophie uh that will be going on the patreon uh we talked about such interesting things and the recording went over our allotted time uh so Something had to go, and it was just this first little chunk. In it, Sophie talks about her work as a copywriter and how that introduced her to the term biophilic design. Um, so yes, sad to, to chop that bit out, but if you do want to hear that, then head on over to the Patreon. I am back very briefly at the end. Enjoy Sophie Lacey. going in from the very beginning with a vision to have mindful spaces to have places for people to go and sit at lunchtime that is you know covered with trees or whatever it might be and as you say it's not just a bolt on you know let's look what we've got and try and do something something with it let's actually put something in Um, and what's really encouraging is to see that that is also happening in retail it's not just um you know it's not just residential anymore it's not off what we used to call office plus you know the kind of um office plus leisure space where you might go Mm -hmm. if you're working and you might go after work into a gym or whatever it might be it's not just those places anymore it's it's you know it's going into a shopping center for example and talking about 
the roof in a shopping centre that's been designed using natural natural patterns, fractals, that kind of thing. You know, to see it's actually part of the fabric of a place. Yeah. yeah. And the materiality, maybe even the colour scheme or, or the way the, the spaces flow, that it's, mm-hmm. you know, people are using these kind of, you know, natural geometry, biophilic enclaves, prospect and refuge, you know, refuge spaces and spaces, mm-hmm. open, more open spaces, that these things are actually part of the fabric and not just yeah. added on. Yes. I I stayed at a, a hotel just around Christmas time where they they advertised uh, meditation booths. And mm-hmm. really, well, I mean, the reality was that there was a chair by a window uh, that uh, had some headphones and that was that was their meditation booth, and I thought that's a definite add-on. Like that's not really, yeah. you know. I know I think it's good that they're trying to to encourage sort of sort of peaceful spaces, I guess. But um, yeah, and it was in the middle of a corridor as well. It didn't didn't quite. Matter. No, I can see <laughs> I that. It's, like it's a it kind a of um, it's a nod in the right direction, and and actually there is something to be said for for implementing sit spots you know places where people literally can just sit and they've got maybe a nice view it doesn't necessarily have to be anything very elaborate but I think you're right I think there has to be at least some some context some you know environmental or natural context to that yeah Um, I mean maybe we're crossing over into something different with virtual nature and everything coming through the audio audio visual Mm which is something yes. else I'm quite passionate about is the idea that when we when we do get into talking about biophilic design and marketing spaces from that point of view that it isn't it isn't all visual because I think there is a huge emphasis still on everything being either visual or audio visual we also need to talk about about our sense of touch and about our smell and our taste they seem to be still lagging behind in lots of ways in the way that place placemakers think. Do you think that's because they are harder to implement, sort of making a smell, a, you yes. know, a feeling in a place? Yeah. Not as easy as projecting a picture. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there are there are practical limitations, definitely. But I think again, some of it comes round to comes down to intention. And I think that that sometimes even using wood in a space, we know, don't we, for those those of us that love being around wood, that it has its own has its own tactile quality or it, its own smell. It's things like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything that that's overpowering or or obvious. Okay. It can be something more subtle than that just you know a beautiful wood that gives off just a natural kind of low level smell yeah um i've I've spoken to other people who say that there are movements now to use essential oils in the built environment in a much more deliberate way which i think is quite interesting because i use essential oils quite a lot in in my meditations even online 
which sounds a bit strange, but <laughs> it <laughs> okay, works. Yeah. As long as you get everyone attending the meditation with the right oils, it's amazing what you can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's something that I think is quite exciting is using natural natural oils as an in an ambient way. Uh-huh. And of course plants, you know, fragrant plants, trees, even grass. And I think sometimes when I talk about intention, I think what I'm talking about also is pointing things out to people. Sometimes it's it's about just getting people to notice stuff. You know, have you noticed that you're sitting on this beautiful green grass and actually it smells? It's an awareness thing. A lot of those multi-sensory um, things are there, but people are so engaged through the eyes and so kind of caught in their own mind that they actually need help yeah. reconnecting with the other senses. Um, and that's even the same actually with with hearing, you know, things like, I mean, you probably know about about this more than I do from a from a from a building perspective. But when we talk about things like acoustics, and now I wonder how many people, how many, dare I say, inverted commas, ordinary people, are really aware actually of what building can do on that level. Have you ever done the thing, uh, deer ears, when you're out in nature and you sort of cup your ears? And uh, and just really focus on the you know what it is that you can hear by by just sort of creating a little satellite dish behind yes. ears. Yes, yeah, kind of kind of magnifying this exactly, sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting how people feel somehow that life is is enhanced when you get them to engage. I mean, I notice this when I teach my natural mindfulness sessions or my forest bathing sessions. That by getting mm. people to tune in, particularly with the sense of touch, you know, it might be something like just getting people to take their shoes and socks off and stand with their feet on the ground and really just feel that connection with their mm. feet on the earth. Or it might be, you know, picking something up from the ground like a pine cone and and touching it or stroking bark on a tree. In the abstract, it sounds a bit daft because you think, well, do people really need to be taught to do this stuff? But actually they do because most people are not really fully aware of what their bodies are doing mm. in the environment. You know, they a lot of the things that we touch as we go through our day, we don't really register that it's happening. And it's the same with smell and taste tend to reserve our sense of smell and taste for the obvious things like meal times where obviously you're very engaged then but the rest of the time you can miss a layer of experience so easily partly by being distracted yeah but also because i think our culture is so focused on what comes through our eyes first and probably what goes through our ears second and it's like the three other senses behind yeah and i think it really matters for human for human life for quality of life on all sorts of levels that we have a much more multi-sensory experience and yeah. so any odd opportunity i have to bring that into my writing i will do it you know if i'm if i'm given any kind of free reign 
to talk about what a place feels like fully feels like you know what does it feel like to actually be there yeah. I think great you know I've got carte blanche now to actually to create a journey and maybe it, it feels sometimes it's a bit of an untapped thing actually to bring that into into a marketing thing because we talk a lot in marketing about emotion emotional engagement people having experiences you know particularly in retail now we talk a lot about it's not transactional any longer it's experiential you know what do people get in this space that's more than just going in to buy stuff what else can we give them what what sense of connection can we give them what sense of place can we give them can we get them to tell stories and to share things and to really feel connected to that that space that we've given them we talk about that all the time in Mm. marketing but it's still I still feel that we're a little bit behind the curve talking about about our physical physical senses and our our physical experience which it's really important yeah there's a a thing i've been talking about it's quite a lot recently rob hopkins does a a thing at the beginning of his talks when he's talking about how do we get out of climate catastrophe and he he gets everyone to picture 10 15 years in the future and picture that we've solved we've done something magic and we've solved climate catastrophe and everything's great and he, he goes through you. Know, now, imagine you're in that place. What can you hear? What can you mm-hmm. smell? What can you know? And there's something about putting your, you know, imagining yourself in that place so fully with all of your senses that unlocks what that place actually is. Absolutely. You've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head that it, it's immersive if you're engaging all five senses plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talk in, in my forest bathing event about the sixth sense, which is that kind of the, the, the slightly intangible, you know, the kind of the intuitive, I guess the sum total of all the senses coming together and the sense of place that isn't necessarily definable. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about genius Loki and we talk about, you know, what it, what is it about this particular place at this particular time? that is unique right now and so yeah so it's it's five senses plus something less concrete yeah and I think that's really important and again creates potential when you're marketing places to try to convey to people who for whatever reason can't be in a place or won't yet be in a place to try to get conveyed to people about a very specific identity, you know, that places places have identity and personality. And again, if you can use all of that five, six sense language around that to say this is this is what's unique here, this is why you should be here. Uh-huh. Um, it just gives us opportunities with, with the language you, we use. That's why I'm passionate about it, because I think you're – you're essentially transporting the language of meditation, language that meditation teachers and scriptwriters have been using for centuries, and you're you're transporting those principles into marketing, and you're telling stories, you're creating journeys, and you're telling stories using the same sort of ideas. One of them, for example, being prospect and refuge when we talk in biophilic design about 
um, you know, having secure spaces or, or safe spaces or little enclaves, places where people can be, can be private, can be detached, can be enclosed. But you might then also talk about, you know, elevated spaces, people, you know, the whole prospect thing of looking out and being able to see, to see the space from above or from the bigger picture. Meditation teachers have been using those psychological principles, you know, for for years and years. This isn't a new thing. This is this is about the psychology of space and making people feel particular emotions. For example, somebody's feeling very anxious might be taken into a walled garden because it's that womb-like thing of feeling mm-hmm. safe and secure. Or somebody who's feeling very underconfident or despondent or a bit hopeless you might try and take them into an into an elevated meditation where you say oh we you know imagine you're standing on a hillside overlooking a town what do you see you know watch the people below you what does that make you feel imagine you know all the aspects of your daily life going on below in the town below you it's psychology it's it's appealing to our basic needs to feel secure but also to feel free one of my favorite things i was taught a little while ago is you know a little sort of two minute meditation is to imagine you're looking down on your own head from above and then you zoom out and you know you see your your space and then you see your town and then you see your country and then you see the earth and then you see the universe and you Mm -hmm. know i've never made that connection but that's yeah that is prospect that's absolutely overview yeah absolutely um and and you know when you when you read all the research behind biophilic design you know the 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 patterns the 14 patterns and stephen kellett and what eo wilson said when the terminology was first being put together you realize that so much of this is about our very you know it's our innermost psychological and emotional being that we're talking about Mm. and so much of meditation and mindfulness is tapping into those same drivers I guess so that's why I think if we can maybe use that language to tell really good stories or to guide people through journeys through spaces um, not necessarily in a marketing sense, but I think I think marketing is a is certainly a legitimate place to to put it. Why not? You know, if you're marketing a space or a place, what you're doing is you're asking people to come in. You're inviting people in. That that's principally what you want to do, isn't it? You want to get mm-hmm. more visitors to that space, whether it's through a promotional video or whether it's through a brochure or press release. You're inviting people in, and and in forest bathing, we use the language of invitation. Natural mindfulness, we talk about inviting people. I now invite you to, you know, take your shoes and socks off and stand on the earth. How does that make you feel? And it's very important that that we use invitation rather than direction, because we want people to feel that they have a choice in what they do, and that it's not dictated, mm-hmm. and. It, the same principles apply to marketing. You want people to feel that they there's something great for them waiting at the other end if they come, but you don't want to be dictatorial 
either about about what you're giving people you must come (laughs) you must come to this (laughs) um to this shopping center you know that's a quite old-fashioned approach to to marketing nowadays it's much more about giving people choice and appealing to appealing to their emotions Mm -hmm. so i wanted to talk uh more about forest bathing when i was researching this i discovered that the japanese government have introduced forest bathing as a national health program which makes complete sense to me (laughs) yes yeah i mean what i've maybe some people listening to this might think that sounds ridiculous i mean what is it that's first of all i mean what is forest bathing in a sort of general term but also i mean what's it giving us the first thing that i find interesting is that forest bathing isn't actually that old it only really goes back to the 1980s and the word in japanese is shinrin yoku which literally means forest bathing and it sounds like a, a an odd term but basically you are bathing yourself in the experience of being in a forest so you are immersing yourself in a forest environment and you are soaking up everything that the forest has to offer you so from that point of view it's literally like a bath you don't have to take your clothes off although some people I'm sure do but um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's again it goes back to what I was saying about multi-sensory immersion The first thing to say is there's quite a lot of different approaches to forest bathing and we have forest bathing and we also have forest therapy, which is also incorporating things like talking therapies and circle time. Some people also do foraging and and forest medicine and they, you know, they pick things and make teas and they show people, you know, how to derive foods and, and things from the forest. I don't do that. Um, one of the reasons for that actually is that my, my forest forest isn't really a forest. I teach at um, the Arboretum, which is attached to Oxford University. So it isn't a true deep forest. But the advantage of that is that we have the most incredible variety of trees because mm. it's an Arboretum, which I think for us is a huge advantage, actually, because it gives us all these different little zones and patches that people can explore. And essentially what I do is I invite people to have natural mindfulness experiences within that forest space. And we talk about what do we notice here using our sense of smell, our sense of taste, our sense of touch, what what happens to our bodies when we breathe, the air, what, what is that doing for us? So they, So I also do some more kind of traditional meditation techniques using the breath and we do some eyes closed practice some meditation but we also do eyes open mindfulness I get people to touch things I get people to pick things up off the forest floor and notice patterns and colors and to feel the bark with their hands and a lot of it is about grounding and connecting and then really kind of thinking about what people feel afterwards or what they feel while it's happening. Um, I get people to sit with particular trees to kind of connect. I mean, literally tree hugging. You know, this is proper. Find a tree that you are drawn to and sit with it and communicate with it. You know, what what stories occur? And the, 
fascinating thing about this is that people have the most incredible experiences with this. It might be an associative thing. So they might pick a tree that reminds them of a tree that was growing in their grandmother's garden when they were children. And they might start to think about that, you know, their memories and their own story. But also people think about what does this tree mean? You know, what does this tree feel and see and what stories does it have? And it opens people's imagination up in the most incredible way and people often feel that they want to share that when we come back at the end for our kind of circle our gratitude circle but then the rest of it is just people having time either in a group or on their own just to really connect on a physical and mental emotional spiritual level and I do try to point things out to people which is where I think it kind of crosses nicely with biophilic design, we do talk about things like fractals, we talk about natural geometry, we talk about noticing on a microscopic level and on a macrocosmic level as well, how there's an interesting concept in Japan called ma, which is the space between things. It's very much part Mm. of the Japanese aesthetic that you don't just go for the actual forms, you also look at the forms between. So we talk a little bit about that, you know, what happens when you get two tree branches crossing over each other? What what do you notice about that interaction between the branches? Quality of light as well. I get people to notice how the light filters through the leaves. Or it might be... um, sense of hearing you know you get people to really just to listen to the sound of the breeze through the trees and what that's like and it's very soothing there's a lovely word for it it's called scythurism which basically means basically means the whispering whispering through leaves oh I love and it. <laughs> you just get people to sit there and listen to that sound birch trees in particular a brilliant for that, that real kind of fluttery, whispery. Mm-hmm. And people, again, people tune in on a level that perhaps they've temporarily forgotten to tune in on. Yeah. And it helps to calm, obviously, a lot of the chat, the mental chatter. So people typically feel very restored afterwards. And we know from studies, there's lots of Japanese studies and studies here as well around the reduction in stress levels quite significant reduction in stress literally after an hour or two of being in a in a wood or a forest environment and that's Mm -hmm. why the Japanese are harnessing it because they know that it's extraordinarily powerful as as a preventative health measure you get more people into into a forest, letting their stress levels drop down. What's going to happen? You're going to get less mental health issues. You're going to get, you know, less physical health um, difficulty as well. So it is very powerful. And I, th- I think it's fantastic that it's taken o- off over here in such a significant way as well. And yeah. I, I mean, I teach it really as an, as an added thing to, to other mindfulness and meditation techniques i i keep my teaching deliberately quite broad and and 
general, but obviously there are a lot of people who specialise just in forest bathing and they take it to a whole nother level where, you know, you would go off for a whole day or maybe even a few days at a time. My events are about three hours long. So in a, in one sense, it's a taster session, but even three hours make a huge difference to to what's going on in the brain. Yeah. I uh, I think I've I've told this story before, but I had an experience where it was just before Christmas and I was doing Christmas markets, uh, doing sort of selling crafts. And it had been a particularly difficult financial year and I was putting a lot of pressure on these these markets. And a few days before the markets, I went into my studio with all my things to sell and the members of the studio, before I'd even got to the market, they went, oh, I want all of those. And it really stressed me out because they were they were just really simple little coat hooks made of tree tree branches. And I was stressed. I was like, oh, now, now I don't have any stock to sell. So I had to go back to the woods to, to get more. And, you know, I walked alongside a river and across a field and into the woods and was looking through the trees, trying to find, you know, just the right branch, uh, very specific type of branch. And I noticed that after about half an hour, I was completely free of all that, yeah. all that stress and all the, you know, the, the entire reason I was there was this sort of stress and it had just dissipated. And I mm-hmm. spent a lovely hour just plodding through the woods you know cutting a few little bits of tree and kind of came back to my studio to to make them into crafts uh just as a a completely different human Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'd fully sort of bought into the idea of forest bathing before then but i was a definite convert (laughs) afterwards yeah i mean that's that's a great example of of how it happens in in practice and i think really as a teacher it's more of a guide you know some people just don't spontaneously make those connections that perhaps you did and they actually need again a lot of this is because they're they're so locked into their own minds or they're very distracted or they might you know they might be very anxious and have something preoccupying them but a lot of people just need prompting to connect to Mm. to to remember i mean i don't think i don't think that any of this is new this is just revisiting things that we once were you know this is we know in our deep innermost being how to do this right this is this is our natural state to be connected with the rest of nature this this thing we talk about in in meditation about oneness being part of nature not set apart from it and and in a way, this idea of connecting with nature is a bit weird because actually we're already connected with nature. We've just forgotten that we are. Yes. So this is really about going back to what we should be, what we are and what we should be. But some people just need to remember to go back there because they they wouldn't ordinarily take their shoes and socks off and stand on grass. It wouldn't occur to them. Or they might just think it's a bit weird, you know, it might feel a bit uncomfortable. I think in some ways these things have got a bit of a, a bad press over time because it's like it's a bit woo-woo, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit out there. You know, this mm-hmm. stuff isn't for normal people, this is for weirdos, you know. But um 
I think this is all changing. And that's why I think it's really important that we start having conversations about these things in the commercial sphere, rather than be afraid of commercialising well-being, which some people are very afraid of. You know, why do we have to put a kind of transactional value on on this stuff? It's a bit, you know, it's a bit not right that something unethical mm. about it but i actually think it's really important we talk about this because we are commercial beings as well we are you know we live in a capitalist system whether we like it or not we do need to go shopping and we do need to use office buildings and we do you know so let's be real about this stuff and bring it into where people actually are rather than separating it especially this sort of preventative or preemptive healthcare can save you know, if our nhs can save millions a year because people aren't needing to access their services exactly absolutely true yeah and i i think again we're, we're just at the beginning of that 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 this idea that we you know this the whole social prescribing mm. thing of you know in some ways it it seems old-fashioned because i can remember my mother-in-law who's now in her 80s saying saying to my husband you know she'd say oh well if you feel low just go for a walk and you'd say oh for goodness sake you know you don't know what you're talking about you know very old-fashioned you know if you if you're feeling depressed you know you need to go and see somebody and and have talking therapy and you maybe need to take medication I'm not knocking any of that by the way but I think she had a point that Mm. actually maybe sometimes especially on a low level a lower level of of stress yeah. Maybe the answer is to go for a walk, actually. <laughs> Especially if you're walking somewhere that is conducive to to like your experience of being able to just completely switch off mm-hmm. and alter what's going on mentally. Yeah. Um but I think one of the things that was really interesting about lockdown was the conversations I took part in online around how there are people who don't have access to green space and quite quite i can't actually remember what the percentage is now but it's quite a high percentage in this country of people that would have to go quite a long way before they could get to a park or some natural landscape and i think that's where we need to start also talking about technology as a as a kind of portal to these mm-hmm. experiences and again it's about not separating them kind of bringing them together into something using technology for good yeah which kind of leads maybe leads me onto a, a slight tangent around virtual nature let's go for that virtual tangent. environment <laughs> okay i'm into it well again i think i i think you can see that these things are happening in marketing you know we we talk about immersive in marketing and immersive experiences for example using soundscape recorded soundscapes to to give a place or a space an identity and meditation teachers are doing the same thing they're recording natural environment meditations using visual prompts using soundscapes you know bird songs or waves or whatever they might be so in a way they're using very similar principles for different purposes 
And I just think, again, a really exciting opportunity exists there for taking the best of both worlds and opening spaces up to people that maybe couldn't ordinarily get to those spaces, either for commercial engagement or for health and well-being Mm -hmm. engagement, both. Well, when I spoke to uh, to Bill Browning and, and Katie Ryan, uh, they were saying that uh, a photo of nature is gives you the same biophilic mm-hmm. response, but not as much, um, you know, as actually a view or better yet being in nature. Yeah. Um, so I wondered what sort of... I guess limitations you see in the the sort of virtual virtual nature world. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. There are undoubtedly limitations, as you say, that we we know from research that there there are positive impacts on on the mind body, you know, that they can test what happens in, in brain waves and brain chemistry, you know, the structure of the brain and all that kind of thing and they know that we respond in certain ways even to things like the color green or natural patterns you know natural geometry all that kind of thing but you're absolutely right it's not the same as being there um and i think the answer is again to go back to the multi-sensory to try to use as much multi-sensory prompting as you possibly can so from a meditation perspective I would give people visual prompts visual guides invite people in using their kind of visual memory and that's an interesting one in itself because some people can't visualize Mm. and so you will get the occasional student who really struggles to be visually where you're kind of suggesting that they could be um so we're not using film or photography. We're actually relying on people's memory associations. And for a lot of people, that's very powerful. Um, with mindfulness, you obviously are using actual pictures and spaces, but with with meditation, it's it's much more about the kind of the internal spaces that you that you're creating. But then also I would try to bring in sound to that as far as I possibly could. And also I think I haven't fully quite got my head around what you can do with this from a technological point of view. But I think there is scope over time for working more with the haptic sense. Haptic is touch. Touch, exactly that. And I think uh, when I... When I had my first ever virtual reality experience the other day at the Van Gogh exhibition in London. Uh-huh. And I loved it because one aspect of it is about, I don't know, 10 minutes long. You get taken through from his house in Arles in Provence. You get taken 
out of his bedroom, down the stairs, out the door, through a field, uh, you know, field of wheat with the haystacks that he was so famous for. You go through the woods and there's sunflowers and and then you go down into the town and you go onto the harbour and you see all the lights. And it is the most incredible thing. I did it twice. It was so exciting. I thought, I want to do this again. Um, and visually, it was stunning. And, you know, there was a soundtrack as well. So it was picking up a little bit of bird song and the odd mooing cow and all that. Very convincing, you know, very, very real. But the one thing I really noticed was I felt slightly seasick because there was no physical grounding. Mm. I was sitting on a chair, so I had my feet on the ground and I knew intellectually where I was and that I was completely safe. But it was very interesting to me that I shut my eyes in reflex as I was going through a painting. You know, my body was fooled enough to react as if I was in a real space. And the reason I think I felt slightly woozy was because there was nothing happening on that haptic level so I felt quite ungrounded. And I wonder whether there are clever ways with virtual reality or, or augmented reality of bringing in more kind of real touch aspects. Yeah. Somebody very clever in kind of three-dimensional design would have to <laughs> would have to explain how you would do that. Maybe they'd get you standing on, I don't know, a bit of field or something, you know, a bit yeah. of a... Or, or something like that. Um, you'd, or, or, or maybe you could have something like some walls near you um, made of bark or wood that, you know, so that you've actually got some sort of connection, suggested connection anyway. Yeah. It's um, that immersion thing, isn't it? It's, it's immersion it's, thing again. And, and the same with smell and taste. Maybe not so mm. much with taste, but with smell. You know, maybe it would have been even more incredible if they'd been able to create the smell of that field or the smell of that wood, had some sort of essential oil diffusion system. going. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are people who are doing that out there. But I think um, it does feel a little bit like the missing link with with immersive experiences. Um, yeah. And from a meditation point of view, again, that movement is happening now that we use more aromatherapy, for example. Or um, I very often bring real plants in to my meditation. So if people can't meditate with me outside, I'll take the outside to them, uh-huh. <laughs> and nice. I'll get people to 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 smell flowers or leaves or feel them in their fingers or break bits off and just be with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and people seem to love that because pe- even though they're very connected, a lot of the, the people I teach, you know, they might have a garden and they're very connected. It's a whole new thing to actually ask people to notice, you know, what's going on right inside that flower? Look inside the petals. What do you notice going on in there? And they're like, oh, I'd never noticed before that there's three different colours of purple in there or whatever it might be. Um Yeah. It's that difference between sort of looking and seeing, isn't it? Exactly. I think think it's partly um, maybe because, well, my understanding is that, you know, what the eye actually sees is is quite sort of more like sort of 20% or something like that. And then the brain fills in all the gaps Mm -hmm. with with sort of experience, is my understanding anyway. And I think when you actually 
stop glancing over something and actually look into it into real detail you really yeah. get what's what's truly there well than maybe what you imagine to be there absolutely true let me take something for example like a beautiful piece of wood now you work with wood so you know that you're you probably have either acquired a connection you're already naturally very connected with what wood can do for you on all, on all sorts of sensory levels you know we're a fresh cut piece of pine I can still remember as a child I'm Swedish by by heritage half Swedish and I can remember my dad building a house for us in the in the forest in Sweden he made one of these um kits kind of timber framed you know like a a, what we call a summer house where it's all Uh all pine pine planks with a veranda that goes around the outside and I can still remember I was probably about five at the time and I can still remember the smell as he worked away on his Black and Decker, that incredible smell of wood. And when you've had those experiences, you you know the power of those experiences with something as simple as a piece of wood. Um, And and lots of people love being around it, but I sometimes wonder whether they really understand why. Mm. Why why does it feel so lovely to be in a wooden room? Um, Yeah. And it's not just because it looks warm. And because it's natural, it's also because of the way it feels and the way it smells. And so, again, it's just about inviting people to be aware. What I find really fascinating about what you're doing is that it's sort of flipping the the biophilic uh, patterns on its head a little bit. It's, you know, there's all these patterns on how to make a biophilic space. But you're using the patterns as a guide as to what to look for when you're actually in that nature. And you know, seeing the fractal, seeing the prospect, seeing all these exactly. different things. I yeah. mean, that is that's a really wonderful thing. It's um I I refer to it sometimes as as biophilic design at source, because in a sense it is. It's the source material for where these patterns came from in the first place, you know. Mm. All the those those research realities. That, that evidence comes from somewhere, you know, the, the the fact that we have a particular affinity to Savannah, you know, the reasons why. Um, and that that is nature. That is, it's nature that's given all of that to us. So let's go back to that source for a bit and, and investigate why that is, you know, let's, let's put ourselves there. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's, that's really the, the, my, raison d'etre is that kind of um merging those two things together the the natural Mm. and the and the built yeah um and trying to find opportunities to to talk about them to write about them um and, and to offer that offer that to people just to kind of i guess to take their their marketing messages up a level or two um because i think there is there's um there's not enough messaging yet, although it's beginning. There's mm-hmm. not enough messaging yet in that space. Yeah. Um, and it makes such a huge difference to the value that can be that can be gained from being in, you know, whether it's a beautiful living room in a house or whether it's whether it's a really sensitively designed floor of a shop you know whatever it might be 
um there's there's just huge scope yeah absolutely with that so can we can we talk meditation for a little bit of course um because i had a realization last night uh when i was prepping for this conversation that well i i found it fascinating that you're writing scripts for meditation using uh biophilic principles and i thought about it i was sort of comparing it to maybe someone who's creating a i don't know a virtual space a computer game or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and and what you've got is so much more powerful because you sort of create the space and tell people what to look for, but mm-hmm. then they're filling in all of the little details with their own memories and their own experiences. Yeah. And to create something that's you know, infinitely personal to them, it's not, you're not telling them what to see. You're sort of, mm-hmm. yeah, giving them the framework to see. It. Uh, and I think that's just, I mean, that, that, concept blew my mind a little bit if i'm honest <laughs> just how how uh positive that that can be and i've i've never really in meditation i've never really necessarily got on with uh, lead meditation mm-hmm. i've been mm-hmm. much more of a sort of mindful look at breath uh, yeah absolutely yeah kind of and it's and i've been always been a little bit dismissive of the sort of journey type mm-hmm. uh meditations and well you know now i feel a bit foolish (laughs) (laughs) i mean i should acknowledge that there is even as you know when i did my diploma we had a lot of talk on on that course around whether guided imagery or guided visualization as it called as it's called is that actual proper meditation you know because Mm. there are there are purists who will say this is a kind of newfangled thing that it really relates to um, to hypnosis and kind of psychoanalysis. You know, it comes from a different tradition than than um, than pure meditation. But then there are there are types of meditation in the sort of spiritual traditions that do have a visual element. You know, there's no doubt about that. In in certain types of yogic meditation, for example, you will use some sort of visual prompt or it might be a mandala or it might be some sort of, you know, you're encouraged to see a deity, for example. Um, so there are types of meditation that traditionally use guided visualisation. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a feeling that we've kind of rather over-egged the pudding when it comes to guided journeys that that is what people think of as meditation when actually there's so much more to do to it and a lot of people prefer a mindfulness practice which is as you say breath-based just sitting sitting literally sitting with the breath paying attention to the breath and 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 using the breath as, a, as an anchor point you know steering steering the thoughts being aware of the thoughts and then coming back to breath kind of steering the mind back to breath and I teach that as well. And I try to be very clear with my students that when we're doing a particular meditation, we're using this technique, but there are many others. Um, and, and that this particular, vi- this type of journey meditation is a specific kind and that you don't have to follow that. If your meditation takes you somewhere else, then go with that, you know. Um, so yeah, I am talking very specifically about about that journey creation mm-hmm. side of things 
I would just encourage people who haven't done it to try it. And and if you find that it doesn't work, <laughs> work for you. I mean, there is a sense in which you're escaping. I think that's one of the issues that purists have is that it's not truly mindful because if you are practicing mindfulness, you are in the present moment. It's present moment awareness of where you are now, what your body's doing now, what you're feeling now, what you're thinking now. Whereas if you're taking someone on a journey, you are essentially transporting them away from where they are. So there's an element of distraction. Mm. Um, And I think that's a difficulty that some people have with it. Yeah. It's sort of a bit more like uh, watching the TV. Yeah, kind, kind of. But then you also have to think, if you're watching something like Winter Watch, for example, mm. we know that people benefit from watching nature films, right? They're not there. They're being taken somewhere else. They're being taken into a wood in Scotland somewhere and being asked to watch the foxes or whatever it might be. They're not there. They're being transported, but it's still incredibly good for them to be engaging. So I tried to focus on the fact that it's a positive in the main. Yeah. Depending on where you take people, obviously. And (laughs) I have, um, I do have some ethical framework as well about particular scenes that I won't take people into, um, which is something that I was taught on my diploma. um, Just because, again, that whole thing of psychology of space. Um, and I I don't want to knock other meditation teachers who do do this. I have to emphasise that. But for me personally, I'm not comfortable, for example, taking people up into outer space. Right. And I wouldn't take people under the sea either. And there are meditations where you are taken down under the sea and you're asked to pretend to be a mermaid. Great. If that, if that floats your boat... <laughs> pardon the pun to be a mermaid um fantastic but i actually think that you are treading on you are risking making somebody feel very anxious yeah um or ungrounded and it's the same with with asking people to imagine that they're on a flying carpet you know um if i if i take people into an elevated space using the principle of of prospect i always do it so that people are grounded on earth um it maybe sounds a bit batty no not at all it's you're you're trying to replicate a space where they could genuinely be isn't it you know you're in a, a natural space so we we can't be floating in the air we can't be underwater no it's sort of in a nat- natural form yeah we could be stood at the top of a mountain or we could be on the edge of the grand canyon or exactly that that. it's partly because of the of the the fantasy and disbelief aspect but it's also because some people will will some people can't quite do the suspension of disbelief thing that Mm. you know you're meditating that you're under the sea and so in in the meditation you can breathe underwater and everything's fine some people can't do that they will be too worried that they're going to drown basically yeah so um I think you just have to be a little bit responsible. Um, And as you say, quite rightly, trust that people will fill the gaps, you know, and and it's fascinating when, for example, I take people into a a beautiful walled garden with a stream and we go and, and, 
you know, I suggest that people sit on the grass and watch the stream. And we talk about watching leaves on a stream as a as a mindfulness practice. You know, imagine that if each leaf is a thought that you're casting aside and you're watching that that intrusive thought disappear. But what's interesting is that when people do the discussion afterwards, everybody's garden is completely different. You know, they've got different trees, different different flowers growing that they they might have a different you know some people might have paving some people might have grass you know if you're not too prescriptive which I think is really important you give people pauses to to do their own thing which crosses over as I said before with 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 marketing prompts as well that you don't dictate how people are going to connect with a space that you allow people to to kind of make it their own journey. Um, but it just fascinates me, the variety of experience that people have. And some people will say things like they, they can't quite get out of logic. So they'll say, but it didn't work for me because you couldn't have a stream that was running that way along the gate or whatever it might be. And you think, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, and that's interesting in itself that people will be very, very super logical about things as well. Yeah. Or, or they'll be very imaginative. You know, they'll they'll have a tree that sprouts, you know, pink leaves. So, so mm-hmm. it, it's one extreme, one extreme to the other. Um, and I get the enormous privilege of taking all this in and thinking, that's amazing. I wonder why that person thought that and the other person didn't. You know, the other person didn't. <laughs> to anyone listening to this, that's doesn't meditate i mean i would put myself in that category at the moment uh it's always something i aspire to do but i i think again this was something that that we were taught on our course that it's really important not to make it another kind of chore you know something Mm. else i have to do and and i notice on linkedin that there is a bit of a culture sometimes that you know i get up at five o'clock i meditate for an hour i do my yoga then i go for a walk and then i get to my desk by half past seven and you think oh for goodness sake you know (laughs) how do you fit all this stuff in you know let's be real here Mm. meditation like anything else needs to be achievable otherwise you're just not going to keep at it and so particularly for new people i say five minutes a day if all you can do is five minutes before you brush your teeth or before you go to get to bed of sitting comfortably and just tuning into your breath, being aware that you're breathing, notice what's going on in your body, notice what's going on in your mind. You know, that very, you know, on the surface of it, simple sitting with breath for five minutes, I would think is a brilliant introduction some people find sitting with breath almost impossible, just the idea of it. So we might t- talk about using some mantra or, or some words, you know, some English words, doesn't have to be Sanskrit, using, you know, literally, I am breathing in, I am breathing out, I am breathing in. Um, I even, for some people, which might sound like I'm talking myself out of a role here, but I, you know, for some people, apps are really useful. Um I think there is a place for those. There's no doubt. I don't think it replaces being in a in a group, and I don't think it mm-hmm. replaces being being with a real life teacher. I would say that, wouldn't I? But that's partly because 
of ironing out obstacles, you know, things like getting your posture right or what do you do when you just can't switch off? Yeah, It's very difficult to get that sort of advice from an app. I mean, you can message people, but in reality, I think if you can get some actual real-life teaching, even if it's just for a short time, to develop a good habit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different options out there. And I don't think there's any any problem either in advising people to try lots of different techniques because, you know, Vedic meditation using mantra is a very different experience from Buddhist mindfulness. And some people will resonate with one and not the other. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I prefer one over the other. Um, as I've said, my approach is very broad. And if I do a course, so I'm, I'm doing a course of workshops at the moment, about eight workshops. And I deliberately make them very, very varied so that people can just try different things and then decide Mm. what they would like to pursue because we're all wired so differently. Mm. Oh, I'm inspired. to. (laughs) I've created a little space just there. Uh, This is rubbish. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But just next to a big, I've got a roundwood timber frame in my house and, um, and it's just in front of that where I intend to sit and meditate. Brilliant. So, uh, I love that. I love the fact you've got a dedicated sit spot, a de- dedicated space to go. Um, because I think that's all part of making this regular. You know, if it becomes part of your routine, mm. rather than something you have to carve time out for, then it it's just something, you know, it's, it, something that happens um and, and therefore you will take to it and and over time you know i say to people build up from five minutes to 10 minutes and then maybe from 10 minutes to 20 minutes but i'm certainly not one for saying you know people have to sit in meditation for three hours at a time because it's just not realistic for well for most people anyway <laughs> it's not, yeah it's not realistic um unless you're going on a ret- on a ret- retreat or something in which case you might be sitting for for hours at a time um it's, i think it really my mission with this is to try to make it as accessible for as many people as possible mm-hmm. and to try to be really relatable as well because i think it's the same with yoga i see it with a lot of well-being modalities that we're almost cast as these ethereal angelic beings that live on a different dimension you know and if we're not sort of meditating for four hours a day ourselves and we don't have that peaceful expression on our face (laughs) that says that we you know we spent the last four hours in mindfulness you know what what right have we got to teach I think we're human beings whether we're teachers or whether we're we're practitioners we are human (laughs) and you're supposed to appreciate you're supposed to approach this stuff as a human being mm-hmm. um and you know if you ask a lot of us many of us will come into teaching in the first place because we have our own issues with anxiety either now or in the past or people have been through through some sort of health crisis or mental health crisis and they found meditation as a way to deal with that so um 
So yeah, we, we've got to stay with our feet on the ground. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Big thanks to you, Sophie. That was wonderful stuff. Uh, I do. I can't remember if I've ever spoken about this, but I do sometimes like to wander slightly away from the main topic of the built environment and sustainability within that to talk about sustainability of ourselves. I think it's really important that that we who are so passionate about creating a, a healthy future through through our work with the built environment. I think it is it's often that we end up forgetting about looking after ourselves. So I keep dropping in these episodes as a little a little nudge for you to uh, remember just to look after yourself. And yeah, I'm excited for the next time you go out in nature to look into all the different patterns that are going on and really take some time to explore what's in our natural environment. Let me know how that goes. Um okay, that's it. You've listened right to the end. Why not share this episode to someone who you think would benefit from it? Or leave a review on Apple. You could write a nice little review. Or if you listen on Spotify, now if you've updated your app, you can give this a five-star rating. Other ratings are available, but not for this podcast. Okay, that is everything. Enjoy nature, and I'll be back soon. Cheers then. Bye-bye. 